Hello and welcome to Harder Not Smarter, the podcast where we break down everything from veteran entrepreneurship, the military transition, and creating an unbreakable mindset. This podcast is hosted by former Navy SEAL Kevin Seif and yours truly, former Green Beret, Greg Van Dyne. Today we have former Navy SEAL turned brewmaster, founder, and CEO, Sean Haggerty. Join us as we explore Sean's remarkable transition from elite military operator to the founder of Protector Brewery. We'll delve into how his military background shaped his mindset, the unconventional start to his brewing passion, and how he's taken Protector Brewery to new heights with a commitment to sustainability. Sean will give us insights into his leadership style, fundraising wisdom, and his exciting plans for expansion. Plus, we'll discuss how his blend of education and experience has played a crucial role in his journey. Sean's story is not just about entrepreneurship. It's a testament to resilience, innovation, and relentlessness. And before we dive in, please bear with us here through these first few episodes as we get our feet underneath us. We're committed to building in public, and making mistakes along the way is just part of the process. Hopefully, you can learn a little bit from us as we do the same. Thanks and enjoy the show. Bank at the beginning. So it's just like, uh, it, it's crazy. So I got a pretty good story about raising the money with uh, friends, family, silent investors. And then also just yesterday, we executed this loan for, uh, you know, it's a little over a million bucks for um, both uh, between like the loans that we got this year from US Bank and then Legacy Bank. So it's exciting stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So right. yeah. What's going on, Sean? Greg just jumped on. He's my business partner, Greg. Former hey, Greenberg. it's a pleasure to meet you, Greg. How you doing? Good, man. Nice to meet you, Sean. How are you? Good, good. Yeah, so you're out in Europe right now, huh? Yep, doing the whole uh, expat thing. Oh, my kids very into nice. Zero trash. Yeah. <laughs> <You're a trash. laughs> totally totally well i hope it's uh i hope it's nice out there and i i know it's probably a little uh a little late out there so sorry about that oh no it's, it's uh it's good it's uh just the kick in the pants i need i'm trying to get my my clock adjusted to to late evenings so nice, nice. it's something we get to it's something we get to work through so this is actually going to be the the first recording we'll decide what what order we're going to launch these but this will be the first recording of the podcast we've been doing 33 newsletters so far not all of them have been um uh veteran entrepreneurs some of them have been like entrepreneurial tips and stuff but yeah we, we've been doing that for i guess seven eight months whatever 33 work, weeks works out to be uh it's so where like if we're already doing these conversations we might as well have the conversation as a raw format that people can enjoy have it as a podcast and then we can turn that into a newsletter later um double down on the content um, and people just really enjoy, especially veterans, just love seeing other veterans, what they're doing. Um, so like, this is a perfect platform to give people like you the spotlight you need to, to get some shit going. Um, and then also hopefully inspire other veterans to be like, oh, this guy started a brewery? That sounds kind of cool. I want to learn more about that. I just give yeah. people different ideas of what they can get into. It doesn't have to be get out, go work for Amazon or some shit for, for the next 10 years until you can fully retire, whatever that actually means. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, yeah, I know that, you know, it's a hard, as you guys know, uh, it's a hard transition, uh, no matter what you do, and also from the military. So, uh, and I mean, it's, uh, it's the Wild West out there, you know, there's nobody that's going to hold your hand through it. Um, what's nice about, you know, what's nice about um, jumping into a job or anything like that, or an employer is, you know, they'll take care of you, you know, they'll, just like the military. It's like, all right, do this, do this. They'll withhold all your taxes for you. Uh, they'll give you benefits. So that way you don't have to really think about that stuff. And it's a, it's a blessing because, you know, at least you have money to put food on the table and put some gas in your car. Right. So mm -hmm. also 
I, I've had a lot of uh, great uh, mentors and just, you know, people who have been there and done that, got the t-shirt for it. Uh, those are the best people to, to listen to and talk to. And they're like, yeah, like um, there's a point like where you got to make money. And a lot of times companies, when you first start them, they, they just don't make money uh, for a long time. Uh, you know, Uber is a great example. Amazon's a great example. A uh, little bit of an extreme example, right, of, um, you know, losses over the years and then start to gain some profitability. But uh, a lot of the guys that, um, you know, gave me some good advice were like, you know, whatever it is you want to do, you want to get into beer, I recommend that you go and work for a brewery, you know, because you're going to get not only mm-hmm. like money, you know, and a paycheck, but you're also going to gain you know, just observing like how the business works. Uh, and they said, that's, that's true for anything, whether you, you want to make toothpicks for a living and start up a toothpick, uh, business or, you know, framing construction, whatever it is, you know, a website, a podcast, anything like that. It's like, you know, a lot of these things, I mean, if you look at the history of it, um, you know, people have done it successfully and there's always room to improve it, uh, because, people's wants, needs, and desires are considered to be unlimited. When I heard that in business school, I, uh, I about fell over. Uh, but I also was like, that makes a lot of sense. You know, you can always prove <laughs> something. And just cause you're jumping into something that, you know, from a brewery standpoint might be saturated. Um, you know, you can improve upon the product or the service and you can still make it successful. But, you know, it's kind of a, a give and take between working for somebody and then also making that transition to, you know, be the employer and then make it happen. Um, Because when I first got out in 2015, yeah, went to uh, business school, the GI Bill paid for that. Um, So I at least had some income coming in. And then, you know, there's a little bit of like a pension from the military that helps out as well. And then, but you're like, okay, so I, but I was pouring all that money into this startup and I still had to go take jobs. Um, with other companies, you know, whether it was Mm -hmm. like coaching or consulting or whatever. So, uh, those were some very, very busy years, uh, right at the beginning. And then I was able to fully let that go probably, uh, three, three to four years into this business startup. Uh, And how did you, how did you make the decision to like, all right, I'm making enough money, but did you have some metric? Like I'm I'm making at least two thirds of what I was getting outside of that. Or was it just like, it feels good right now. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the million dollar question right there, right? Uh, <laughs> my, because uh, like the hard thing too psychologically is uh, a company, and you'll you could see this by looking at any company. You know, if you look at a public company and look at their financials or anything, you know, you always got this going on. You know, in terms of revenue, uh, you know, you'll you'll make a maybe a great quarter, or maybe a great year, but then the next year, you know, the pandemic might hit, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, like. So I, I've been, uh, to answer your question, like I've been moldable to how things are going currently uh, while stacking opportunities uh, kind of in, you know, the batter's box uh, and also kind of stashing away like um, opportunities uh, in case I need to exercise on them. But uh, I went fully into this when I started to see like, okay, like our revenue got to a certain marker uh, and I knew what our, our expenses were. And so, I mean, I'm not a, (laughs) I'm not a rich man either. It's like, uh, we've got employees that we, you know, we paid out $250,000 last year in payroll and I, you know, I, I didn't make more than, 
probably like 40,000 last year from this company. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's enough to kind of like, again, like keep the lights on, keep the gas going. But what's, what's great about that too, is like, it's all, it's all moldable. It's all adaptable because with our, I, I, I obviously could pay myself more and, you know, benefit from that. But uh, we pay all of our employees 100% employer paid healthcare. Um, you know, we work with the state uh, with a pension plan for them. So that way, you know, it automatically deducts a portion of that into that savings account for them. And then, um, you know, we have all these other ancillary benefits like uh, commission on sales, tips, oh, nice. um, you know, a few other structures that like really it sets them up for success. So, I mean, everybody in the company gets paid more than me. Um, you know, so, but it's, that's how, it's how it kind of works. You know, you have to, you know, they're the ones coming here every day, driving the innovation of the company alongside of me too. Um, and then as we keep expanding, you know, you'll add more employees, uh, you'll keep expanding, um, and you'll keep going. And if you Mm -hmm. look at maybe even the CEO of Costco, if you looked at, um, his salary, it's, it's not much. Um, there's, there's a lot of companies out there where the CEO gets paid a ton, uh, but there's also a lot of companies like Amazon, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, if you look at his uh, salary, it's like, I think it's like 80 grand. It's always been that way, which is, um, it's it's an interesting thing to be like, all right, I'm going to separate from what's safe and what, you know, an employer can provide me. And then what the company that I started can provide me. And it's, uh, it, it's a hard thing to wrangle. You kind of just have to be open to uh, how the market's doing, how your company's doing as well. Yeah, and bringing in other other forms of compensation too. You know, having a W two salary isn't necessarily a great thing, and, and a lot of the the wealthy and the experienced entrepreneurs will, will recognize that W twos are a liability essentially towards you because that's that's all out in front of the open for for the government to look at and, and tax you on and, and criticize you over. Um, where a lot of other things, other forms of compensation, like buying yourself a company car, um, paying for your your health insurance, paying for um, the, these other things that you're going to buy anyway, but now that they're tied under the business, they're now a write-off. And so you're not getting taxed on the income and then putting it on into something else. You're just saying, no, nope, the company's buying it, mm-hmm. uh, and it skirts around the, the taxes. You know, actually, I mean, that's a good point, too, because, uh, I mean, if you look at um, – a lot of interviews by um, a lot of successful entrepreneurs, uh, you know, who they really keep close are, you know, bankers, lawyers and accountants. Right. And I mean, honestly, I wish I wish this was taught in school more often, but it's just not, um, I, you know, because our, our world really does revolve around uh, those areas of uh, especially if you're going to be an entrepreneur that it's just you just got to be familiar with that, you know, be familiar with law, be familiar with how banks fund companies uh, and also be, you know, be aware of the, like taxes, too. Uh, and also like company structures. And so our company structure is an LLC. And so uh, it's technically a partnership. Uh, we're taxed as an S corp, though, uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm active in the company. So I pay myself payroll. So I do pay myself you know, I pay myself, but then also I pay payroll taxes, which will be a little bit more expensive. But um, as the company keeps growing, um, really what you're looking at is, is the profit of it. You know, so for me, I own over 50 percent of the company. So in theory, you know, I may only pay myself 50 grand a year this year or around that, which is enough for me to be, you know, like, OK, like our family's good. 
um, mm-hmm. pouring all my effort into growing the company. Um, last year's revenue, we did we did well. Uh, we did a little over seven hundred thousand, uh, and then this year, I think we're going to try to we're try, we're going to try to get to about one point two to one point four million with this new location. Um, but really, the driving factor is profitability for a business owner, and so you know, with an LLC. Um, at the end of the year, you can also do it, um, I believe, monthly. But for sure, by the end of the year, if we make 1.2 million and our expenses to include my salary, which has already been taxed, um, mm-hmm. S corp, you know, if we make a hundred grand in profit, then really, you know, I'm going to pay myself 50 grand of that because I own, you know, 50% of the company over that. And then I'll pay the other 50% to all the other silent investors of the company. But my taxes on that 50 grand of quote profit, um, you know, it's a different tax bracket. Actually, it's less than payroll taxes that we would have to provide. So mm-hmm. as the company keeps growing, and that's why I understand why a lot of these uh, CEOs or founders, they, they don't pay themselves much. Oh, I'll, I'll just take the $1 salary. I'm, a, yeah, I'm an honorable like, person. I'll take that. And uh, <laughs> even more so, if you want to take it to another level, you can even collateralize that and just live off of like bank loans um, as you keep growing the company and collateralize your equity in the company. Um, and it just takes it to a whole new level that, you know, we're not there yet. But uh, what it is, is uh, it's it's just an interesting thing because... You know, and the reason I say this is like I'm not trying to um, evade taxes or anything like that. Uh, What I'm trying to do is just make sure our company survives because uh, I learned in business school that I think it's the statistic is about 95 to I think 99 percent of startups from when they're, you know, hey, I'm going to start up uh, five to 10 years later, 99 percent of them won't be there. And Mm -hmm. so it's what's interesting, though, is uh, there's another benchmark. and that's uh, it just depends on what you want to do with it, because there's a lot of successful companies that have been around for decades that are solo entrepreneurs or they have five employees or 10 employees or, or whatever um, mom and pop shops. Um, but your benchmark is going to try to be like if you can get your revenue to about a million a year uh, and you want to have like an enterprise of some kind of like product or service, um, it's kind of the benchmark to say like, OK, that's you guys look like you're going to stick and you're also going to survive. But at any point in that time, and I mean, we're no different. Um, pandemic hit, 50% of our retail revenue was gone overnight in 2020. We had to really start to leverage distribution sales to keep the lights on here, to keep our employees, you know, make sure they had a job. Uh, I fought tooth and nail to uh, to make sure that they were stable and work with the state, uh, work with the feds. Because um, like money going back and forth, I mean, you know, <laughs> beer... Uh, the federal government gets a lot of money from our beer sales. Uh, it's kind of like gasoline, which is kind of funny. Uh, but you know, we pay excise taxes on beer. Uh, every gallon that we produce goes three dollars fifty cents. That goes to um, the federal government. Um, well, every barrel of that thirty-one gallons, and about the same goes to the state of California. And then you have all these other. I mean, the taxes when you start to like list them down: San Diego County equipment tax on the equipment that produces income. That's an annual hit, uh, you know, thousand or two thousand right there, uh, or organic certificate um, that's paid to a private company monitored by the USDA. So we have to keep that in alignment. Uh, the fees just to keep an alcohol license, uh, sales taxes. It just, you know, when you look at the cash flow of our company, money going in, money coming out. Um, you know, it's currently you know fifty to sixty thousand bucks every single month, and a lot of those go towards taxes 
but there's again like understanding taxes and understanding mm-hmm. law um really from an entrepreneurial standpoint uh i mean we're shelling it out um which is like yeah we're checking the box legally and you know we're supporting our local government our state government and our federal government and then on the other side of that though um you've got all these other competitors you know and customers that you got to customers you got to keep satisfied and competitors that they don't want you in business you know it's it's a ruthless uh industry beer but every every single market every single industry is kind of similar to that it's almost like um, the odds are definitely stacked against you for success. And so you just have to, you have to manage money without emotion. Um, mm-hmm. that's really a big thing that I've had to learn because I didn't, I came from a poor family. I didn't come from, um, you know, I came from, uh, poor class, uh, going into the Navy and then, um, you know, learn through school and then learn through the military money management. Uh, and then this was kind of the icing on the cake where it was like, okay, get thrown to the fire and then figure out. Uh, how to make it all work together. Uh, but I got to say, you know, it's it's kind of nice because we, um, you know, we've been managing it pretty well and we've been growing very well and successfully uh, since 2017. And it's you, you and your wife uh, started it, correct? Yeah. So we we originally started it. So I started the company with, um, and this was 20, 2014, I filed the uh, articles of uh, uh, organization with the state for the LLC. So that's when. T- and you were still in the Navy at the time? Still in the Navy. So yeah, that was, uh, I was on, I think I was going, finishing up my last deployment with SEAL Team 5. And, and then uh, I was like, okay, start the company. When I get out in 2015, we'll, we'll do the rest. Uh, but then 2016, we signed the lease here. Uh, and even when we started the company, there were a couple members that I was like, okay, like, and this is what I recommend too for anybody starting a company um, is, just try to think about the equity structure of it that makes the most sense and also try to plan for the worst case scenario, right? Uh, if it makes sense to do 50-50, sure. If it makes sense to do 60-40-20, um, you know, sure. We actually itemized that by uh, by hours in the week and then um, capital that was put in and risk. Um, and you really just have to figure all that stuff out. It's also part of your market capitalization table from the very beginning. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, I'm going to put in everything that I have currently that I've saved for the last 11 years being in the Navy. So I'm going to put all that in, right? Which uh, comes out to like 200 grand. So it's like, I'm going to shove that into it. Okay. And so, and then I'm going to work every week, at least 40 turns out 80, <laughs> but I'm going to do that. Okay. So for me, my equity should be, you know, about here. Right. So we started with my equity up in like the 60, 70% range. And then the members that we had with the company, um, it's all, and it's all negotiable, uh, when you start a company. So it's, and as long as you can be like, okay, like this is how we're going to do it. And you have to file these, um, uh, these documents with the state. So it's like, okay, we're going to create this company. Um, with an LLC, it's called uh, an operating agreement. So, you know, you start the company with that first, like, okay, articles of organization. Now we're an LLC. Now we get a, uh, federal tax ID number with the IRS. Okay. Those are tied together. And then here's our company organization structure with the state of California. Okay. Great. And, um, you can be a single member LLC or you can be a multiple or single member managed LLC, single member LLC, multiple manager LLC. And those things can change over time as well. Uh, but you start with that organization, with that operating agreement, 
clearly lays it out. And with the individuals that I had that jumped on board, um, so, you know, some were guys that I work with in the Navy, some were guys that, you know, I, you know, they had expertise in certain fields and, um, it was good. You know, we started up, we got the place started and up and running. Um, and we just, we had a legal structure where it was like, okay, you guys are going to get 5% equity or 10% equity, and you're going to work for this amount of time. And then at this point, um, you know, for free, that's, that's where your equity, comes sweat from. equity, sweat equity. And then at this time, if the company's doing well, uh, then we'll transition you from working for free to, um, you know, working for either hourly or a salary. Now it turns out that like, um, this is what I recommend to anybody is, um, always plan for the worst case scenario. Like it's going to take twice as long and it's going to take twice as much money to do, uh, even though you, you plan very critically to do it. And so we put some, and again, like it's good because the guys that started the company with me, they they've all moved into a silent investor role. And, you know, it's good. You know, you hear horror stories about lawsuits and everything like that. Mm-hmm. We haven't had those. Um, and, you know, we, it's not like we've had, you know, sunshine and rainbows this entire process. Uh, it's just not true. But, you know, at least like we can all come together and say, hey, OK, um, we're going to move this direction. Uh appreciate all the effort you did here. Um, keep your equity, you invested it. Um, and you know, we're going to make you a silent, um, you're not going to be a manager of the company. Um, but you'll move into this role, you'll collect profits later on. And then, um, and those are hard decisions to make because, um, you know, you get, you get, you get hit with problems in a company all the time. And so, um, and also delays too. I mean, technically those guys, their, uh, their contract kind of was like up and they were still kind of like adding things to the company. Uh, and that was more on me. I didn't really, um, this is my first company, my only company. Sure. I had a, a bachelor's degree in business while I was in the Navy. Um, did that, you know, with tuition assistance while still serving and then did the MBA. So kind of had like a broad awareness of like what we needed to do, but, um, you hit these hurdles and you know, you don't have any money. And, um, so it was, it was like, okay, guys, like, don't worry about it. Like, uh, we've got employees to do this. We're going to hunker down here. We're going to move this here. So it's just constantly in motion. Um, and also too, when you don't have any money, because we started in 2017, um, that first year of revenue, we probably made like 170, 180 grand, but, um, but with a loss, um, so mm-hmm. it was the, uh, the economics of our company, you know, um, our cost of goods, uh, and services, uh, were just so high and customers weren't willing to pay a premium, uh, for our product above what the average market rate was for beer sales or anything like that. But the good news is, you know, companies are, are given, what is it, like a three year or five year, uh, leeway with, with claiming a loss. So you might as well take advantage Totally. Those losses anyway. You know, hey, totally. we're not paying we're not paying taxes to the company this year because we took a thirty k loss and we're going to carry that forward into next year. Yeah, um, yeah. So yep. yeah, you know, you, you really don't even want to show a profit for the first few years because you're just leaving money on the table. The government says we're giving you this uh, this uh, grace period. We're like we're just going to expect you to be losing money for the first few years. You don't yep. have to pay taxes if you're losing money. Yep, yep. And what's kind of nice too is uh, you know having good. Um, CPAs and accountants and bookkeepers mm-hmm. uh, set that up at the beginning. You know, yeah. like you don't know QuickBooks. It's kind of a it's kind of an animal. <laughs> you know, it's it is what it is. 
but pay the money, pay the monthly rate with a good firm uh, that will do those taxes right and do those um, tax returns right and your submissions to the state. Because um, like the government's going to take your taxes uh, from normal business operations anyway, you know, all those taxes I mentioned before. And then at the end, if you have a profit, uh, they'll definitely take a portion of those taxes. Uh, there is grace period, but what's kind of nice about losses, it's a double-edged sword. Mm-hmm. Those losses will carry over year by year. And then eventually when you are profiting, like if let's just say like this year we profit two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000, I can technically use all the losses I had from all the other years and not have to pay any taxes this year on any profits that I make. And so mm-hmm. – it, but that all has to be accounted for and it has to be by the book with the IRS too. Yeah. And so, you know, having that documentation is important. And then there's also the thing of, you know, as a business owner, you want to show as little profit as possible. So you're not paying as much taxes. But then when you, like, I remember you, you mentioned earlier that you're going to be um, getting some money. It's like, well, when you have to go to the bank to, to get a loan and you've been showing five years of minimal profit or even losses, you're like, Maybe you're not the greatest in, uh, investment That's, for us to be putting the loan in. So it's, yeah. it's a constant game of uh, how much profit do I show if I know I'm going to be needing a loan? Or if you're looking to sell the business, you again need to show as much profit as possible with as few expenses yep. and versus the other years where you're like, no, we want to expense as much stuff as possible and show as yep. little profit. So you really need to have that, that long-term strategic plan of what you're going to be doing with the business uh, so you can make those literally years in advance. Oh, God, you're absolutely right because it's uh... – like a bank, again, a bank's not going to fund you uh, typically. I, I should say this typically. And what's interesting about this process of like capital raising, uh, we, you know, we've raised millions over the years to get our company to where it's at. And, you know, what's kind of nice is it's kind of an even balance. Like all the money we've, it's not like we've raised like 10 million and only made 5 million in revenue, right? It's like, it's actually pretty well balanced at this point. Um, the money that we've actually raised, uh, we've been able to back it with the revenue to about equal. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, every year at this point forward, um, you know, it'll be it'll be kind of that scale that tips where it's like, yeah, we're making millions uh, and we're not having to raise any more money because the business is kind of off to the races and it's it's kind of a self-sustaining entity. But uh, when you go even when you go to investors, I mean, I've gone I've pitched to hundreds of investors since we started. Um, because, you know, as another good mentor told me, he's like, you will always be raising money. Just accept that. Always. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's very it's very rare that um, and even even if your company from day one is profitable and you're just plowing those profits back in and you still have money left over. He says he's like, yeah, like but at the same time, there's going to be a point where it makes more sense to use public money from a bank. You'll save more money by doing that, not having to risk all those profits of the company to keep scaling forward. Financing is a, it's an interesting thing um, because it can really help you, uh, and also taxes and you know as the money starts to multiply, um, you just have to move it in the right direction. But uh, for us, I can only speak from our experience um, because we were showing losses. We would pitch to investors and we set an evaluation. And there's a lot of metrics that you can set your evaluation for your company at. Um, you know, you can just go onto Investopedia and say like, okay, well, what's my industry? What's a typical uh, multiple for revenue or, um, you know, a discounted cash flow DCF model, um, you know, projected for five years, 10 years. Like, hey, if you invest this here, we're going to make this. There's discounts rates. There's there's all these equations that you can do. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, you can you can set it to whatever you want. 
but the give and take between an investor, he may just come back and say, all right, well, you say your evaluation's uh, 10 million, but um, I don't believe you. And uh, I'll, I'll you know, cut that in half. Um, I don't want 10%, I want 20% for the money that you're asking me to give you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's constant um, with anybody that you raise money from. So you can, you can quantify, uh, as much as you possibly can, what you believe your evaluation is. But uh, what's kind of nice about the market is, um, and just people in general, is uh, it'll it'll self correct itself. Just kind of like a like a capitalistic market, right? Uh, a free market will always correct itself with prices and costs, um, as long as it's not a monopoly, because people want to bargain. Because people are always questioning, um, you know, the value of something. And you know, it's like, hey, like. Yeah. Um, it's, so it's, it's a constant negotiation. So what you got to try to do as a, as a business owner is try to maintain at least control of your company. Um, just try to at least maintain control. That's why it's very important to understand which legal structure that you're going to create the company as. And with an LLC, typically, because um, it's ruled by you know pretty big just legislation, um, as long as you have the majority ownership, then you'll always have majority control, but that's also not always the case. Um, you know, you can structure it to where you give up more than that and also maintain control of it by being the manager of the LLC as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen companies do this very successfully too. They may, they may raise $20 million, give 51% of their company to a venture capital firm and, you know, but they're still, they still maintain at least some kind of control. And also um, voting rights um, and all of these things that are important when making big decisions in a company. But for us, it's like, hey, our valuation, we first set our, set our first evaluation at about $3.25 million when we first started capital raising in 2019. Um, gave up about 19%. Was, was that with like a, a 3x multiplier or was that um, what yeah. you guys considered you guys were doing at the moment? Yeah, so we were... At that time, I think we were doing, um, yeah, I think what we're trying to do is uh, do a discounted cash flow uh, model where it was like, okay, if you invest this here, here's our, here's what we anticipate our growth trajectory to be. And we took all the revenues from those 10 years and then brought them back to kind of a net present value. And that was kind of like our evaluation. Um, again, you can look this up. Um mm-hmm. Fairly easily, but the hard thing about projections and evaluations is, um, you know, nobody subjective. Yeah, nobody can tell what the future will be, right? Uh, I got a magic eight ball. I can figure this out. Yeah, you may project that, uh, but in reality, what happens is you might go that way, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and it happens all the time. Uh, And uh, a savvy investor would definitely see that as well. You can also uh, get an evaluation with the IRS as a specific process for that. Uh, That's mostly. Uh, from what I understand, um, you know, just based on like tax returns, though, um, mm-hmm. just to kind of audit yourself. Um, so but for me, um, it's like, hey, let's set our evaluation here. The the investors, most investors believed in it. And that's where like you kind of have to negotiate and stand your ground and say, now I think our our competitive advantage is really organic brewery in San Diego. We're veteran owned. Um, you know, our trajectory every year is 40 percent growth realized. You know, so that's that's our trajectory that it has been Um, just this last year. Our revenue from 2020 to 2023 uh, was a 50.1% gain. Okay, so even more than what we were projecting uh, back then. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to kind of 
stay on point with those milestones and set those milestones um, realistic too. Because, uh, you know, the worst thing you can do is like try to raise money the first time and then you set your evaluation so high and so unobtainable. You may get the capital at that first round, but if you're not executing on those milestones, you probably won't be able to get more capital after that. And especially if you're a losing company, if you can't go to private equity or angel investors to get the capital, if they're saying no, you try to go to a bank and you only show like losing returns, but no, no track record, uh, you're not going to be able to get capital from them either. Uh, mm -hmm. so it's a very tricky thing back and forth. Again, it's, it's all a negotiation, but every round that we've done, we've raised our evaluation slightly. And again, it's just, we just set the model. It's like, hey, a discounted cash flow model. Even the capital that we raised last year was a combination of equity. And every time you raise equity, you'll dilute people, uh, but you'll, mm -hmm. raise, you'll raise it a little bit more. You know, like this year, it's like five million, five point two five million. Uh, so we try to keep ramping it up because the people that bought in early on, they need a good deal, and so that you know they want to maintain a little bit more equity, uh, so they'll get diluted a little bit less than people coming in, you know, later on yeah. at the stage. So th this knowledge you have of you know business and and investing and um, structuring the business. I know you said you got your your undergrad in business. Um, you have your MBA. How much of this was school of hard knocks? How much of it was intrinsic interest and knowledge from before even getting your bachelor's? How much of it was actually equated to going to school? Because I know like Greg went to UNC and he's like, it was a good experience. Do I need it? Do I do I actually rely on that to, to move forward? Maybe, maybe not. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on MBAs and learning business. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> it's a very. Uh, I th this is this is what I think. I think if you can have um, education and experience combined, I think you're going to be unstoppable. And the experience doesn't have to be what you've already had. The experience uh, can and should be for sure the effort that you put into the company. You know, hyper focusing on making that thing work. That's it at all costs, you know, put the blinders on and just do it. That'll gain all that experience. And um, these experiences that I've had, because I never started a company, uh, didn't really know anything about wealth coming from a poor family. Um, but I had all these other great values from the family and then also from the SEAL teams in the Navy. And then jumping into entrepreneurship, it's just uh, adaptability. So, but the great thing about education is if, um, you know, I, I, it got paid for by the Navy and then the GI Bill. So mm -hmm. kind of a no brain it was, you know, basically it wasn't free, <laughs> you know, nothing's free, but, uh, you know, that paid for it. Um, but there were also plenty of people that took on, you know, student loans to get that education. But um, what the education, why the education was powerful was it gives you, it really just gives you the, the high level view of your company. Okay. So it's like you take operations, uh, in business school and you have an awareness about, you know, inventory control, uh, you take accounting, you take finance, um, you just have a general quick awareness about like, oh, like that's how the big picture of that is. But the experience is the most valuable because um, when you jump in entrepreneurship, you, you can't just, it can't just be all high level. You got to go all the way to the ground with it. And uh, with school, um, they kind of just touch on little areas between those two extremes with the experience you you master all of it and it's usually mm -hmm. a lot of mistakes and a lot of failures too where you're like okay i made this bet i made this assumption didn't work 
cost me a lot of money. That's on me. I will never do that again. I will set a system up um, to make sure that doesn't happen again. And then also too, like, you know, you'll get a letter from some kind of government entity that's like, you need to be paying this for this and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> so you're like, well, I didn't anticipate that. Uh, so, okay, that's going to go on the calendar going to be very organized about that i will anticipate that cost uh next year so it's like clockwork okay and again it's hard to know all of it even if you do have 20 years of experience in one industry um you know you have to you have to kind of like wrangle all these things like that's why school is really good because you get a general awareness of marketing you get a general awareness of new product development you get a general awareness of creativity and innovation you see you, you get a history of how other people have been there and done that and you see what their thought process was you see what the outcome was based on the inputs of what they did um and of course like but that's also not going to guarantee that you have success um because some people don't have money to pay for college some people don't have the opportunity or they don't have you know the grades or the focus or whatever there may be a hurdle in front of that you could still make a company very successfully if you you know work work tirelessly 12 hours a day to just master whatever that is. And what's interesting too, is like, I heard this, like, if you're, if you're struggling to raise capital or, you know, you're kind of like weary about doing it, um, you know, a lot of investors, they don't invest to make a return. Uh, that blew my mind. That blew my mind when I heard that from uh, a mentor of mine, I was like, because I, hmm. I would assume that like that's why people do it and they're like no it's not like of course everybody wants to get a profit and a return from something but i mean this this world is so broad business and the economy is so broad um they may not be looking at it just for the money return they may be looking at it from a completely different angle that you wouldn't even you wouldn't even understand or you wouldn't even know you know it's like hey i want to invest in this brewery because uh, I own a piece of this canning company over here. So I'm not really looking at the returns of you guys. I'm really looking at um, you guys buying from those guys and those guys making the return. And then maybe I'll invest more later on. I was like, oh, wow, that that takes it's a Playing chess when you're playing checkers. Yeah. And then you're like, well, God, I feel like, uh, I feel like I'm the little boy at the big boys <laughs> table, right? So I'm like, oh, uh, okay. Well, oh, and then what's interesting is like, Every time you put yourself into a scenario to grow, either yourself or the company or try to raise capital or whatever it is, you're vulnerable. So your ego has to be very low, you know, and you always have to be like, you're like, hey, like, you know, I and that, that's also something psychologically that's very, very hard to do, especially like, you know, with you as well. Like you had an established career before and then you're almost going back to level zero, you know, mm -hmm. you get prestige and this this could be for any any job you know if you're in corporate america and you're a vp you know you get very used to you know the infrastructure that you have the uh you know the supplies and the uh resources that you have and you make decisions based off of that then you jump into entrepreneurship then you're you know it's all on you you don't have those resources you don't have those systems in place and then you have to work from the ground back up to get there and that takes what it does is it takes you telling yourself like I'm not uh, I can't I can't just act like I'm at this like uh, prestige level when talking to people uh, or I can't just fall in line with that um, that rhythm of thinking and I can't just fall in that rhythm of like uh, you know there, there's certain times and places where you have to wear different hats um, 
but you have to just assume that you're like, hey, listen, like if you're going to make the company successful, you have to forget the salary that you had. You have to forget uh, the opportunity, um, the growth, the bonuses, uh, the lush lifestyle, the first class flights. You have to just forget about that stuff and be like, for better or for worse, I am going to focus on this thing and and just do it. Okay? Long term wealth versus having all the the nice creature comforts. It, and it's it's a hard thing for every single person to kind of mentally overcome. I think that's where mental toughness comes in because if you just make that choice, then what you'll do is you're not going to make an excuse. Um, you know, you're going to be open to talking to people that know more than you, and you know, the, and you don't know more than them, and you are naive to it. Uh, you're going to keep that door open to communication with somebody else who knows more than you do about something. Uh, learn from it, not posture. And be able to incorporate that and move forward. And surprisingly, a lot of people do want you to be successful as long as your ego is down and your your heart is open and your mind is open to like basically fixing the mistakes that you currently have. Because you, you can't, yeah, like if something goes wrong, um, we all need help. You know, we all need mm -hmm. a team. We all need partnerships. We all need uh and that happens when you're just open and honest. But if you're too egoic and you you know you, you don't think that you should be doing it, or you think you know better than somebody else, um, trust me. Like I've seen it, I've seen it with myself. I've seen it with a lot of other companies that have failed around us. And it's just uh, it's a hard thing to see because even if you just be vulnerable just a little bit, um, you know, you'll get the resources that you want. Uh, you'll just have to be open to learning. Yeah. So I have to bring it over to the SEAL site because everyone's going to want to hear the SEAL stories. Totally. On, your, on, on your website, you had, you're out in, it was Iraq, right? And you uh, just wanted that cold beer. Um, yeah, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Obviously, general order number one's in effect, so they're not handing out beers unless you want to, uh, you know, duels totally. uh, totally. near beer. So do, did you have, you know, the hops and the barley and all the other stuff sent out to you? Do you have someone mail it to you? Did you find it that stuff out there and you just go into uh, one of the, the village yeah, markets and yeah. buy stuff? Yeah, so uh, it was me and me alone, uh, for sure. And what's funny is, uh, yeah, like uh, technically, you know, because, you know, there's no alcohol in yeast, there's no alcohol in barley, there's no alcohol in hops, <laughs> and obviously water. So I, I got all those ingredients shipped over to me and a book on how to make beer. And um, I fermented it. Uh, yeah, I'm, this is my third deployment to Iraq. And like, you know, it was pretty calm at that point. Things were starting to calm down. We were doing some direct action raids um, during the during the nighttime, sleeping during the day. Uh, it was in Ramadi. We we're on Shark Base. And um, I was like, yeah, um, you know, just a nice little rhythm. You know, there, there'd be some little things that pop up here or there, but nothing too crazy. And I knew that I was going to be transitioning at some point. And um, you know, I, I, you know, from the experience of like being a SEAL, I mean, you've seen how much planning goes into just one mission, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a hundred slides, you know, and you're just like, I hope I remember all of this. Uh, <laughs> maybe, you know, but what, what was that, that, that third, uh, LZ that we're supposed to possibly go to if the other ones don't go through? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. But the, I mean, the good thing about that is, is like it, the same parallel can be transitioned over to entrepreneurship, you know, aim small, miss small plan as much mm -hmm. as you possibly can. But we all know that once you get out there and get into the fight, um, you know, you rely more on contingencies and training, um, beforehand before you step out there. Um, so that's one good thing that's really helped out with entrepreneurship is, um, critical planning. Uh, but then also, you know, 
being adaptable and contingency plans. But yeah, that first uh, that first round, I was like, because I, I knew that I wanted to do something right. That was kind of the uh, like the SEAL career was awesome. And I was like, okay, great. Um, and I did that for 11 years, but this was like my third deployment. I was around that, like, I'd say like, yeah, like actually that was like my sixth year in the Navy. Um, and then, um, yeah, had the ingredients shipped out, read the book. I thought it might've been beer. I, you know, I didn't have enough knowledge or equipment to actually measure if there was alcohol in it. You know, How'd it taste? like shit. <laughs> it was not that good. It was just like, what was it, like oh, a lager or something? Yeah, it was just like a, it was a, technically a Hefeweizen. Um, and so I had some sanitation stuff out there and that, you know, we make award-winning beer now. So I compare it to that and I'm like, well, you got to start somewhere. And it's, it tastes like a typical, like first batch of homebrew that you'd ever make. Um, it's not like, it's not something that would make you sick. And also like it, it you know, people, people were drinking, you know, like it, people could drink that thing. It was like, yeah, that's, that tastes like something. And then, um, so we didn't know if there was anything in it, like alcohol or whatever, but I fell in love with it. And I was like, okay, like this is going to be it. Let's go back. And then um, got some shore duty and then uh, like started to really just develop the business plan for years um, while I was still in. So it's kind of like that. That also is the same thing, too, where it's like, you know, I'm employed with the Navy. They're kind of, you know, they're they're paying, they're paying and I'm paying them, you know, with my time. But I'm also in addition to doing what they're asking, you know, in the wee hours of the night, planning, whatever the next stage will be. And so, um, yeah, so that, that's where like, that's kind of where the start of it was, where it's like, have an employer start to develop the plan. And then when you're ready, keep, if you could stay employed and launch the company, uh, highly recommend that. I, I just, for any entrepreneur, I say like, you know, don't, don't give up, you know, the golden egg until, you you know definitively that things are going going the right way and they say this like this is kind of a depressing statistic but they do say that it takes about 10 years to kind of get something like right in terms of a business um can it happen sooner for sure uh will it fail before 10 years you know statistically sure yeah but um but that what that does is that anchors your um um i would say that anchors your um, assumption because the worst thing is, is like trying to expect something to succeed very fast and then mentally getting kind of like debilitated uh, when these outcomes don't reach your expectations. So well, it's, like, that- it's like buds, you know, when, yeah. the, when we do the conditioning runs with you, I, I know you mentioned you did a short tour, you mean being a buds instructor. I remember the, <laughs> the conditioning runs with you. Um, and I don't remember the ma- the retired master chief's name, but he's always like, every time when you go for these runs, you want to imagine that this conditioning run is going to be the longest one of your life. And then when it ends up shorter, it's better. And yep. I always did the exact opposite. I'm like, we're definitely stopping at the demo pits on this run. <laughs> There's no way we're going to State Beach on this one. And then we go past it. Fuck. Like, yeah. I was just always mentally letting myself down. Maybe maybe that made me a mentally resilient person because I was just like always let down with how much longer we were running. Um, <laughs> but you know, it, it it just build that build that uh, adversity into your brain, and you'll you eventually succeed. Yeah, I, I honestly had the same when I was going through buds. Um, I had the same mentality too. You know, when you're standing there on the beach, ready for like a two mile swim. You're like, I think this is the day that's going to get canceled. I hope that it's the day. They're actually late. Like, oh, this might actually happen. Uh, and it never <laughs> did. And so I do think that there's a little bit of resiliency that builds from that. For yeah, sure. And then instead, Glonkowski comes out and says, water 70, 71, so take your wetsuits off. <laughs> it just gets worse. Just keep piling the shit on shit. 
Oh God. You know, it's so funny about that too is um yeah, like it that training pipeline when you go back and become an instructor, you just see that it's just it's a schoolhouse. And these things are like it, what's kind of cool about seeing that is like they're designed because when you go through, right, like you're just you're just trying to survive, you know. And again, parallel to entrepreneurship, you jump into something, it's the first thing, you're the student. And I was in the same boat in buds, and you're like, holy crap, this is chaos, this is crazy. Then you have an instructor staff for buds, uh, also other established entrepreneurs that, you know, have gone through it. And then they're putting you like they see that you're going through some of these things, but it's all very calculated, too, which is very fascinating. You know, everything by design. Now, some things are kind of like, oh, a mistake happened there or there. But I mean, that's a very, very small portion of the training pipeline for SEAL training. And it's all meant to build all these different things like mental resiliency, strength and conditioning. Um, but it does really set you up really well, surprisingly, when you do go overseas and you're like, man, I am in a battle rhythm. And that battle rhythm was pounded into you, you know, and then you're like, mm -hmm. holy smokes, like that's how that works. And then you feel like you're like surprised, like and somebody looks at you and they're like, that's how it works. And you're like, man, because those lessons are really good. The most painful lessons, uh, whether it's SEAL training or entrepreneurship, th those things stick with you. And, you know, it does make you mentally resilient where you're like, I don't want to feel I don't want to feel that pain again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that, that was a good parallel between. That also is also in general military boot camp too. Uh, you make a mistake; it's not you that just pays; it's everybody else that pays. And that parallel goes into entrepreneurship. If and the what the weight of it, the pressure of it, it's like if I don't make this. Here's the thing: you got to make choices, right? And you're not going to make a choice right. But what the good thing about SEAL training and then boot camp and like general military training is, it's like just that you have the understanding that it's not just going to affect you. That's it. You know, it's going to affect everybody in your company. And then that, that kind of raises your consciousness too to be like, oh, yeah, it's not just about me. Cause I mean, you know, we're all born as babies and then you kind of go through and you, you know, the development of your body and your brain, it kind of naturally wires you at the beginning of your life to, you know, you don't have the big, wider perspective because you're young, you know, you don't have, you know, you're still developing and you're still kind of like self centered, you know, you think mm -hmm. that things are like more like, why is this happening to me? And that's just really, in my experience, it's, not, it's really just not how it works. I think the world and the universe, number one, you ask for it by going to SEAL training, right? It's like, I, I want this. And you get everything handed to you to make you develop into what you think that's going to be, right? And it's kind of the same thing, too. It's like the lessons come your way and they are, you know, if you choose that that path of facing those problems, going through that adversity, uh, you just start to go, you start to level up, you start to see things differently, you start to uh, learn fast, and you start to really kind of just develop even more because most natural human tendency is to shy away from adversity. And that's fine. I'm not, I'm, I'm all about not being crazy and picking a fight that you can't well, win. Well, that's what they say. Most humans are, are, you know, they go towards pleasure and away from pain. That's what 90% of, of human interaction is. It's totally true. And I get it. But, um, you know, for the purpose of this discussion too, like if you want something to win, you know, whether it's a mission overseas or a company, um, you, you have to, you have to make that, make that thing work. And what that's mm -hmm. going to require is doing things that you hate, doing things that you don't like, and also being open to not understanding why you're doing something as well. That's another parallel. 
It's like, I know I have to face this demon. I know I have to face this thing. It's not going to go away. You know, I have to fix this thing. Okay. Maybe you get a bad review on your product or, you know, uh, this actually happened uh, to me. Um, the same day my wife told me she was pregnant was the same day that one of my business partners said, I, it's not like I'm leaving. I already left. I left all my stuff in the office. And so it was like two months after uh, opening the company. And when you get like gut punches like that, right? Not only like it's a blessing to to say, yeah, great. Like, you know, we're going to have this baby. That's great. Um, but it's kind of a double whammy. You know, you know, kids are going to be expensive. Um, you got to provide for that or somebody. And then also, too, like we just lost a critical member of our team. And so the cash cow I thought the brewer is going to be is now in jeopardy. And those mm-hmm. those things are they're emotional. They're heavy. Um, but that that's the key right there is like that, that. That may be just one example of like many that you can go through. But that that's the point where it's important to stick with that. Push into that because that because if you just you just think that the problem is going to solve itself. It's just not. Um, well, also just not going into that that emotional panic response of like everything's falling falling apart. So it's sitting back and thinking, all right, what do we still have? How can we resolve this? What are our, what are our options? What's the best option moving forward? It's that same stuff that all, all three of us got drilled into us. Like, all right, here, here's your basic contingency plans for the operation. We could yep. literally spend all week coming up with more and more contingencies of what could happen. But the, the whole point of it is just get the brain working come up with some ideas. And then when things do go wrong, you've already worked through what some of the options could be. And now you're just piecemealing them together instead of coming up every, with everything new on the spot. Yeah. And the benefit too is, and I've seen it from, uh, you know, cause we've been in business since 2017. I've seen a lot of companies fail and I've seen a lot of companies that th- those same companies could have been massively successful, but, and even like that scenario with, um, with one of those, me- you know, members, um, you know, I could have blamed him. I could have just said like, okay, it's your fault. But what I've learned is like, it's just like, that's on me. I, that was my fault. I have to take ownership of that. Okay. Um, and I, I would actually ask at the beginning of our company, like why some employees would leave and they would tell me, and I would say, I, I really appreciate your honesty. Like I need to get better. I need to get mm-hmm. better. I need to get better. I need to fix this. I need to fix this. So that that's that point of like pushing into the things that you hate, you know, hate to do. Uh, but every time you do that, it's a pound of effort that's going to yield maybe a gram or an ounce of, uh, you know, just like sustainable like growth after that. But those pounds and those ounces, they add up every time you like face that. A lot of the companies that have failed that I've known, there's been dozens of them. Uh, it, it usually comes down to uh, the people, the guys that are in it, whether it's like uh, an argument over the ownership or blaming somebody or, you know, just not not fixing the problems that are happening. And which is surprising because they got they got something great, you know, and they've also raised a ton of people's money to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, sometimes it makes sense to quit and to give it up. You know, if there's no fighting chance of winning, why fight? I get it. I understand that. But if you like are open to what you don't know, because I mean, we're very, we think we're very smart, but there's a massive world and universe out there that we know very, very, very little of. Right. And if you're open to pushing yourself into just trying to understand something that you might not understand, I mean, those little steps get you up the rung and then also explore opportunities later to get financing 
to attract the right teammates to have, you know, employee retention. And then also like, um, be able to sleep at night with your head held high because like, you're not, you're, you're not, nothing's worse. And you've seen this. It's like the thick of it in hell week too, when everybody's screaming at each other. And like, you're just oh, like, nobody has. It's Lord of the flies out, out there. Everyone's trying to <laughs> blame everyone for, for everything else. Yeah. And you almost have an advantage because you've seen like, Holy, Holy smokes that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but you, you know, a lot of people haven't gone through something like that and it doesn't have to be hell week, but it's like when you lose yourself, it's training. You're like, mm-hmm. I'm going to lose myself here, learn this lesson and incorporate it, control my emotions, uh, and then keep building something, something, you know, same thing in entrepreneurship when the money runs out or that's typically when people lose their minds. Um, but there's also all the other problems too. So that's where you just have to breathe, step back. What am I not seeing? Okay. I can't see it yet, but what can I be doing actively to try to uh, solve the problem? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't, it's, it doesn't take, it doesn't take an MBA. It doesn't take a, uh, a bachelor's degree in business. Uh, it, it, it just, it just takes effort. You know, you just, for sure. You just gotta be so, too dumb to quit, you know? <laughs> so what's on the, for that's, that's the truth of life. Um, yeah. so what's on the horizon with uh, protector brewery? What do you guys got for the next five, 10 year plan? Yeah. So, uh, we've got this new build out downtown. Uh, we just named it. We're going to downtown call- San Diego, just for anyone yeah. else listening out in the area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll send you the uh, the render of it, too, and the location. But it's um, it's at the David Intercontinental Hotel. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, right next to that is Springfield Suites Marriott. So you got 800 hotel rooms above you. It's right on the bay front. Uh, it's about 150 yards from the bay. Uh, it's going to be a, uh, a brewery tap room restaurant uh, with an outdoor patio. Uh, and we just you know signed the loan agreement yesterday. Um, it's going to be a million-dollar project that will be completed this June. Uh, and be open. Um, but, you know, we still have our main facility in Miramar. Mm-hmm. We do roughly 30,000 beers on a monthly basis on average, um, which is good, but we don't make too much money uh, because we give them to distributors and then they give them to retailers and they sell them to customers. So this retail location will allow us to be a lot more profitable because we'll make beer at cost and market up substantially at that downtown location. And who are you getting for, uh, for chef or running the kitchen? So we're going to basically hire a consultant. Uh, and this is what I've also learned in entrepreneurship. Um, know what you're good at, know what you suck at. Uh, I'm not good <laughs> at food. You know, I figured out how to make beer and make it award winning. And like, that's good. That's taken, a, that's what made me have a lot more gray hair, a lot more problems. But uh, for down there, we're just going to have a hundred square foot pizza kitchen. We don't plan on making any money from the food. Mm-hmm. Most restaurants, it's kind of their, their, their successful model. If you, you know, do that because, you know, with a keg of beer, you'll buy a keg for 200 bucks, uh, comes out to like a dollar a beer and you'll sell it for eight bucks. So most retail establishments make money off the beer. We actually control the manufacturing of our own beer. Um, so we'll hire a pizza consultant um, to basically build the menu. And we want it to be very simple. Uh, and that's also another lesson of entrepreneurship. Keep it very like, don't don't make it crazy and elaborate. Uh, it's kind of like the In-N-Out Burger model. Mm-hmm. Make, it, make it a very defined menu, but make it awesome and make it competitively cheap uh, as best you can um, and make it great. And then we're going to have 30 taps. We're going to have, be able to buy and sell other people's beer. We're going to have half the taps of our beer. We'll have wine. We'll have kombucha. We'll have cider. Uh, we'll have seltzers. We'll have um, coffee. We'll have root beer for the kids. And so, you know, we're basically just trying to make that the best place for a family that's on vacation. 
uh, to be able to stop in, have something for everybody down there. That's awesome. That's that's a brilliant business model to to expand out of the traditional just sell the uh, the cans and kegs. Yeah, and it's honestly like our motto here is to uh, you know fuck it up less each day. Uh, you know that that's really like a good motto for us because uh, you know it's it, it, this. I'll send you the renders too and like the location and it, it's great. It's going to be an amazing build out um, to get the bank financing. Took the last twelve months, but it you know we were able to check all the boxes to get funded by a bank. Um, you know by doing the things that we discussed early on in the company, uh, but. Uh, but yeah, no, like it's just learning. Uh, we learn how the system is. I mean, we we sold there's there's 331 beers in a barrel. We did 1,248 barrels last year. It's a lot of beer. It's like over half. You know, it's like 300 to 400 thousand beers, right? Um, but we also like when you understand how the how the infrastructure that works currently. Uh, you know, we sell our beer to a distributor, they'll mark it up 30%, sell it to a retailer, retailer will mark it up another 30% and sell it to a customer. So if we're able to bypass all of them, sell direct to the customer, we walk away with a, a ton of money. Uh, and the margin just skyrockets. So that's really the strategy of why we're doing this. Mm-hmm. So we'll focus on building that out this year. We'll focus on that. Doing distribution with our main production facility and then also have a little retail here, but main retail down there. See how it goes for the first year. Master that model. And then if that model does work, then uh, we're going to consciously keep scaling distribution and retail, uh, but just nice and uh, steady. Uh, not not be too impulsive to try to put in a, another location somewhere just quickly. Uh, we want to take all the data from why that location is successful if it is but with the margins and the uh, the cost of it uh the odds are stacked in our favor most retailers in that location are making anywhere from two million to nine million dollars a year so it's pretty uh it's pretty incredible awesome greg did you say were you about to say something yeah who's your pizza consultant i was like i was about to say that's like the that's the real hero in this in this whole story is the guy <laughs> totally. that got away being the pizza consultant. Yeah, yeah. There's a few. Uh, there's a few that we have in mind, but they they've started uh, or currently run pizza shops for the last 20, 30 years, and so we uh, we just want to bring somebody in, and it's more like this. It's like bring the guy in because he's going to say you got to have this, and then we're going to say okay, that's the pizza. Then you have all the distributors of the raw materials for the pizza. It's like, okay, well, I know this is what you want, but we've got to work with these distributors and these ingredients and these cost constraints. And so it'll be a couple of days of going back and forth. Uh, you know, working with chefs is like, you know, working with like most other experts, you know, it's uh it's a, it's a give and take. We'll just say that. <laughs> and are you, are you going to stick with the, you know, organic sustainable, um, stuff with, with the ingredients for the pizza or is that going to be a separate? We're going to try to. Yeah, we're going to try to. So our facility up here is certified organic, makes it easy. Um, so every beer that gets pumped out of here is certified organic, the whole facility is. But down there, um, we're, we're going to put our beer on tap that's certified organic and then, you know, label it as organic. But everything else down there, we're going to try to incorporate as much organic as we can into the pizzas, 
the products that we buy and resell. Hopefully we'll be able to get organic um, cold brew coffee on tap. Um, but, you know, really what we've learned is like um, most bars, retailers, they don't really care that it's organic. It's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Major retailers like Sprouts, uh, Whole Foods, Natural Grocers, of course, it makes complete sense. Um, they love that product down there. Uh, and their customers do. But when you go to a bar, they're like, you're veteran owned. We care about that. And your beer is good. The organic thing, like it almost kind of turns them off in a way. Um, and I'm not saying that like, but I am saying this, like we're fighting a war to kind of like uh, just make the beer industry better. That's my mm-hmm. opinion. You know, if we're beating out other big brands that are conventional and, you know, our we have 100% renewable electricity here. Uh, the organic process, we have to purchase every ingredient from an organic farm. So that works for sustainability. Every chemical here is EPA certified to have a neutral or even a positive impact on the environment when discharged. And I hope that people will mimic it because, you know, it'll just make not only the world better, but, you know, it's like, hey, you can still make great beer and not have all these synthetic pesticides in there. You don't have to have all these traditional practices that do more harm than good to the environment. Uh, Germans have been doing this for hundreds of years and most of their beers are organic to that standard, too. Uh, so it's just reminding people like, Hey, and again, like that's, that's the fight. Like as an entrepreneur to sum that up, it's like, we're jumping into something that's saturated. Uh, what's your niche? What's your niche. And then also how are you making it better and how like find the customer, find the customer that's going to value what you're doing and also influence customers to try to switch to your product, uh, based on who you are and what your company values are as well. Yeah. I've had a lot of people. They're like, it's really funny how many how many veterans, especially combat-oriented veterans, are coming out and being like, you know, I really want to protect the environment and have sustainability and do all these other things. And like it just doesn't make sense because you know, you're trained killers, you've done all this stuff overseas, and then you come back and now you're all about the environment. But I think what it comes down to is it's just ingrained to us to make whatever we have better than we left it. And that's just a way that we're able to do it. You know, like none of us want to destroy the environment. None of us want to break and ruin things. We had a mission that we got really good at, and we always wanted to, to leave things better than we found it. And this is just another way we can we can do it. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head too. And it's um, you know, I think you see how ugly the world is and how ugly people are and how it could be. And then when you get out, you're like, you know what? Like yeah, I want to be a producer, not a consumer. I want to make it mm-hmm. better than how I found it. And um, there's so many ways to do that. You know, it, it, it it's crazy because you can do that in so many different ways. You don't have to make a product. It could be a service that's just, it just makes people, you know, people want to work with you and improve upon it, you know, and just the environment, just the vibe of the people that you surround yourself with. Um, those little things add up. And there's countless opportunities for do that to do that with any entrepreneur you know you just have to look at something and be like okay that's the fight i want that's the next fight that's the next Mm -hmm. right there it's like hey like i see a problem with this industry a problem with this product a problem with this service um and that's something i want to spend my time trying to trying to make better um learn from the people who have done it before and then stand on their shoulders and be grateful for the information they give you. Be grateful for the competitors that you have, and then say, "Let's make this better." Really, our, our entire economy, and you know, in you know, basically the Western world is built upon those kinds of principles. And if you could try to 
make things better and also try to help people along the way, even the people that are quote your competitors. I think that that, that says something, you know, cause you're not just in it, um, you know, to be ruthless. You're not just in it to be, you know, it's not just, not, it's not all about the money, you know, it's, yeah. well, it's, it's not a zero sum game. It's not, I win and you lose it. There, there can be, let's just build a bigger pie. And for us, it's like, if we can show other breweries that organic works and they mimic us, I count that as a win because mm-hmm. it makes a huge ripple effect on everything. Um, and it, honestly, the, the only way they're going to switch is if we win against them uh, or we're taking their market share, which is kind of the uglier side of it. But we're kind of wired to, to work like that, too, where mm-hmm. like, hey, like we, we are we're holding it to a massively higher standard. Um, it's gonna, it, it, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna ruffle a few feathers, but you're like, Hey, listen, like, I don't want you to fail. I want you to adapt. And if you want to mimic the product, like here it is. And I think like a very good lesson of that is Elon Musk just giving up all of his patents on an electric car. So that way he's like, Hey, we have this, we have this issue of sustainability and yeah. I know how good I am at this, uh, and I want other car manufacturers to come out with electric cars because it's not just about the profits of Tesla; it's it's bigger than that. So that's a great way to look at it. That's a that's a stuff that's going to keep you going when you don't have any money, or investors <laughs> tell you that you're full of crap, or you know, bankers tell you, "Nope, I'm not going to find you." So you know, that's the thing. That's the motivation, right? Absolutely, you got you got to have something to keep you going at the end of the day. Um, well, it's awesome speaking with you, Sean. Um, Please let me know if there's, or let the let the audience know if there's ways they can get in touch with you, where they can find more information on you, um, what the timeline for your uh, for your new location is going to be, and any other way that we can can support you guys in your growth. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, just check out our website. We're going to have uh, another tab for our new location downtown. Um, you know, veterans, first responders. If you come in, you'll always get a discount. Um, you know, you can see the retailers that we have on our uh, beer map. So, you know, if you want good, clean beer that's certified organic and veteran owned, you can snag it. Um, and also, too, if there's any way that we can help um, with you guys and support your charity, um, you know, there won't be a fee to like come here and like try to try to get started up with some kind of charity or just a good place to like meet and greet with other entrepreneurs. We're linked in with um, the Rady School of Management, which, um, you know, that's where I did my MBA. And mm-hmm. uh, they really center on entrepreneurship and their network is really good. They come out here every quarter. Um, so you can actually talk to other guys who have started $2 million businesses. Um, you can meet people that are just at the startup stage too, um, periodically. So, you know, we'll try to uh, announce those on social media and our newsletters as well. Uh, but we're going to be gearing up for this downtown location. So, but yeah, um, if it was me and I, if I told myself to do it or not do it, you know, back in 2015, the answer would be do it. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to grow from it uh, in ways that you've, you've never realized. And even if you don't make it, you're going to be at a, a, a you're going to learn stuff about yourself and that's going to slingshot you to the next thing that you're meant to do. Um, and that, that happens very often too. So be open to it. Awesome. Well, Sean Haggerty with uh, Protector Brewery, organic, uh, you know, sustainable beer. Love having you on here. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, thank you guys. I really appreciate the time. I'll follow up and send you guys the, uh, the render and also the location. And uh, when you guys are ready, let me know. We'll get drunk together. All right. For sure. Thank you. Well, maybe we can even do one out in uh, in the Netherlands. 
There you go. Get you guys out here. Do the do the uh, European beer tour. Uh, they got great beer yeah. out there, Greg. I hope you're taking advantage of it too. All right. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome guys. Hey, thanks again for having me. I hope you guys have a good day. And uh, yeah, I'll follow up with an email. All right. Sounds good. Have a good one. All right. Thanks guys. Take care.